Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular Peristyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, Trojan fans, we are back with another edition of the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. We got Gerard Martinez on the line, going to talk some USC football recruiting. What's going on, Gerard? How are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, a lot going on the recruiting trail today, uh, but before we get into that, I think uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, sad day for the University of Southern California football tradition and uh, the passing of Junior Seau. Yeah, certainly. It's a sad day for all Trojans, and uh, I think a lot of people remember where that, what they were doing uh, when they learned that you know, Junior Seau uh, passed away in his home in Oceanside. He was actually a uh, star of the football team, number 55, uh, his junior season, and he went out that year and was drafted number five overall by the San Diego Chargers back in 1989. That was my freshman year of college, Gerard. So it goes way back. I just remember, you know, Everyone followed him, obviously, and even though Mark Carrier, who went number six in the NFL draft, so it was a pretty good draft for the Trojans that year, uh, he went to the Chicago Bears. Uh, Junior Sale was the heart and soul of that team and that defense, and just watching him flying around the field, and you can see some of the old pictures with the midriff jerseys and stuff. I think a, a lot of Trojan fans that were around to watch those games have tremendous amount of memories of uh, what Junior Sale meant to this team. And he's definitely one of those players that had come back and had still been a personality and a face that associates with USC football. He was there during the spring game. Yeah, I was uh, standing next to him. I, I looked back at my Twitter account and tweeted out, you know, standing next to Junior Seau and uh, Anthony Munoz right now, Trojan Legends, uh, something along those lines. And, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess the craziest thing that I saw Gerard and um, – USC uh, Trojans.com, the official USC Trojan site, put out a video today of Junior Seau, uh, a little tribute video that had some highlights and stuff, but also of him, you know, just two weeks ago at the spring game playing the ukulele and singing a song with a big smile on his face, as happy as could be. And uh, it just did not seem like someone that, you know, would apparently uh, commit suicide in his home. And, it, you know, it's, a, it's just a tragedy. I know just seeing all of former teammates and former opponents talking about it on TV and on the radio and uh, even on our message boards, Gerard. We've had you know former players on our message boards, uh, former walk-ons talking about how he was the nicest guy to them even though you know they weren't the, the best player on the team or anything. He was just seemed like that kind of a genuinely nice guy to everyone he's been around. Yeah, definitely a, a great person, um, you know, more than just a great football player. And I think that uh, – you know, the number 55 will always be associated with him. I think even before this tragic day, it really gets associated with him the most, and there's been some other fantastic players that have worn that number. But I think, you know, with him passing, I feel like everybody kind of, you know, puts that 55 to junior sale. And it's, uh, it's funny because USC doesn't have names on the back of their jerseys, but uh, that 55, it almost like you can see sale on the back of that jersey, uh, even though it's blank. Yeah, we had a full-on uh, thread Talking about former number 55s, um, people thought Jack Del Rio might have worn number 55. He didn't. He wore number 52. He ended up wearing 55 in the NFL. 
Uh, but Junior Seau was really the first like uh, big time All American type of linebacker uh, that wore that number fifty five at USC. So he really started that tradition. Uh, Willie McGinnis uh, wore it after him, and then uh, it was uh, Ifiani after that. Chris Claiborne, Marcus Steele. Uh, Keith Rivers, and then we went a few years without seeing a number 55, and then last year Lane Kiffin gave it to uh, Lamar Dawson. And, and so, you know, the, the tradition kind of goes on, and, the, you know, Dawson ends up starting at middle linebacker as a true freshman, so it seems like he's at least initially worthy of uh, wearing that number. Well, he's definitely got to carry it on, and uh, it's, uh, you know, a heavier number to wear probably than it has been in the past, you know, previous years. Um, but, uh We'll see, you know, how it goes going forward. It's, uh, like I said, definitely a number that will remind everybody of Junior and, and the things that uh, he did, uh, like not only for USC on the football field, but uh, who he was as a person and uh, a guy that was uh, loved by many and, and had uh, a huge impact on the community, uh, both uh, around USC and in San Diego, and uh, will always be a name that uh, people think of when they think of 55. Certainly. And uh, before we, we want to jump into recruiting, and, you know, I just wanted to at least pay a little tribute to, uh, you know, the great Trojan Junior Seau. What were your thoughts on, you know, Lane Kiffin actually not, uh, well, at least Pete Carroll at the end and Lane Kiffin in the beginning, not having a number 55? Lamar Dawson gets it. Was it, was it kind of overplayed? Was it a, a big deal in his recruitment? And, and what do you think how, how that all fell down and uh, went together? You know, interestingly, it really wasn't a big deal in his recruitment. It wasn't something that was mentioned um, during the recruiting process with him. Um, you know, I think USC had, had, had probably brought it up and, and mentioned that, uh, you know, the number had a lot of mystique to it. It had a lot of tradition and prestige uh, attached to it. But I don't necessarily think that that was a recruiting tool for Lamar Dawson. I think really with that number, um, it's, it's certain kids who follow the program for a certain amount of time. I think, you know, locally and those kids nationally who have kind of grown up USC fans and followed USC for a long time, I think it plays a bigger deal with them. I think with Lamar, he wasn't a guy that was really, um, I think, uh, real knowledgeable about all the traditions of every school. You know, I think with him, he was really trying to go to a school where he felt like he had the best opportunity, um, the school that fit him academically best. Um, there were a lot of different things that were coming in that factored into his commitment to USC. I think with USC, they obviously put a lot of emphasis on putting that number you know, on a player coming in. And, and really with Lane Kiffin, it was kind of a surprise that he went out and put that number, you know, first day basically on Lamar Dawson because there's been a lot of talk about having to earn numbers. And that was something that kind of happened just right off the bat. So obviously they felt very comfortable about him. They felt very confident in his abilities even before he really got into the thick of, uh, of fall camp. So it is definitely a number. There are a few numbers that uh, have a great significance with USC. And um, it is a recruiting tool, but more more with some kids than others. And I think obviously once those kids get to USC, it becomes a bigger deal because they begin to understand their tradition and everything that's gone in uh, to making that number special. All right. Well, uh, we're going to transition into some recruiting questions here. And again, you know, everyone that we saw so much activity on our Facebook and Twitter pages, uh, Junior say, I'm sure we'll get more information soon, but we just wanted to let everyone know. We didn't forget about it, and uh, it's, a, it's a sad day for all of everyone in Trojan Nation. Um, Gerard, for, on the recruiting side, we've got, we've got a bunch of questions this week. I wanted to start off, it's kind of an interesting one. We've had so many, even though it's not technically recruiting, um, we've had a lot of questions about walk-ons, mostly because of the, 
scholarship limitation. We have a couple. Of, I'm going to play this one on a voicemail, and I got another one uh, to read afterwards. So uh, here you go. Uh, good morning, Ryan, Coach. Hey, uh, this is your buddy Greg here in Signal Hill. Got a question about um, how scholarships are doled out to uh, preferred walk-ons. Um, I understand that a preferred walk-on is noted as such because they are not a scholarship athlete, but that they hope to attain a scholarship perhaps the following year. My question has to do with can a preferred walk-on to the football team come to USC or any school on an academic scholarship or any other type of, uh, say, a music scholarship? And then when offered an athletic scholarship, then they um, would then relinquish the previous scholarship. I don't know, I'm thinking no, but uh, it's been a topic of conversation among friends. Hey, thanks a bunch. Enjoy the, enjoy the podcast thoroughly and uh, look forward to more of it every week. And as always, fight on, brothers and sisters, and beat everybody. All right, thanks, Greg. Greg, we got to golf sometime, too, by the way. Um, and then we all, a different Greg in Calabasas, Gerard, wanted to know, uh, he said, I understand walk-ons won't count towards the 75 limit. What happens, though, if they get to a point where we're starting them by pulling a Clay Matthews, for instance? Do we have to put them on a football scholarship at that point? So a lot of confusion, Gerard, about walk-ons and scholarships and all that. Maybe you can uh, shed some light on it, and I'll help out too. It is pretty clear-cut. Um, you know, preferred walk-ons are allowed to have financial aid. Obviously, academic scholarships, uh, anything that has to do with whether it's music or some other um, aid, it's not like a full football scholarship. You're not having everything paid for, but there are bits and pieces of things that can help you pay for your time at USC. And they do not count towards the 75 or the class limit of 25 or in USC's case, uh, 15. So they are allowed to have some amount of aid once they're on the roster. And if they are given a scholarship, uh, you know, a year or two years after the fact that they were, uh, you know, walk-ons, then they do count towards the total scholarship uh, total. Um, so in, and then just as an example, if a kid comes in and he plays two years at USC as a walk-on and he gets some financial aid, um, if he's given a scholarship and wins a scholarship at some point after that, uh, then he is part of that 75-man roster for USC. He does not count retroactively towards the 15-man limit or 25-man limit or whatever the class limit is at that point. Um, so then he can receive no scholarship aid. And if he was to go back off of scholarship, let's say he was only on scholarship for one year, um, after being a walk-on, once he's on scholarship, he is considered a recruited athlete, and therefore he cannot receive any more aid. So then he is stripped completely of academic aid, whatever it may be that uh, are some enhancements to uh, going to USC and making it a little less expensive, uh, those he cannot receive from that point further. So you can't kind of bring a kid on and, and have him on scholarship for you, then take him off for a year and have him pay his way, and they put him on for you. can't really do that. You have to either be on scholarship or be off scholarship after that point. Yeah, and I, I, you bring up some good points. And this came up a lot during the whole Matt Barkley uh, coming back for a senior year fiasco. So I talked with USC Compliance quite a bit about what's going on. And one of the key factors is, was the, the prospect or was the player uh, recruited? Uh, offered a, you know, did he have a scholarship offer, things like that. So Matt Barkley was obviously a recruited athlete. If he came off of scholarship, he can have zero financial aid. Uh, there's no aid possible. 
Um, if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't recruited, uh, like the preferred walk-ons are, and, and by the way, preferred walk-ons, we talked about this in the podcast too. Uh, they're, they're, they're on the team. I mean, that's part of the reason you're a preferred walk-on. You're, the other walk-ons are trying out. Uh, you're on the team. So that's a, that's a good part. I mean, they don't have to go through the whole tryout process and see if they make it. Uh, but if you do have a, a scholarship and you come off of it, um, you can go back to being a walk-on and having your other aid as long as you weren't basically starting off as a scholarship athlete. So Barkley couldn't come off and then have some kind of aid whatsoever. He would have to pay everything himself if he wanted to go his senior year uh, off a of scholarship. So I think that's where that first came up, Gerard. But it is, it is very confusing, but... Just, I guess, if people understand, a walk-on is a walk-on. They're not on scholarship. And, and for Greg, it, uh, um, yeah, for Greg and Calabasas, uh, you can be starting and still be a walk-on. You don't have to have a scholarship. Uh, you know, USC has a starter right now. Kyle Negretti, the punter, is a walk-on. He's not on scholarship. And, you know, because of the sanctions, he might not get one for his senior year. I think a lot of people are hoping he gets one. Uh, but he might not get one. So you can still be a starter on the team, even though you're a walk-on, that doesn't have anything to do with it. If the coaches want to dole out one of those scholarship rides to you, then you get one. Exactly. All right. So that's, uh, hopefully we explained that. A lot of, a lot of walk-on questions, right? I guess the sanctions is what, what's doing it, that people are trying to find, you can't find a way around scholarship limits. Uh, you, you know, you couldn't recruit a kid and offer him a scholarship and then take that offer away let him be a walk-on and have an academic scholarship because he got that offer. Then he's a recruited athlete and blah, you know, so I know once they of, brought the scholarship limits down from a hundred, that was when, you know, they started to become very strict and yeah. you know, this is the, the, the limit that you can have and you can't have all these loopholes. And uh, I think another thing that's big is that USC is, I think making a little bigger deal out of some of the preferred walk-ons and, and, and talking about them being commitments and, and, and it's kind of getting around some of the kids that uh, have committed down in Orange County uh, that are preferred walk-ons. People think, oh, you're committed, so they must have a scholarship offer, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, you can be committed to a school and just be a preferred walk-on. And because USC only has 75 scholarships, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of pitch, like, hey, you know, th- these 10 guys are going to be our 85. And so it's more significant to be a preferred walk-on at USC than maybe some other programs that already have 85 players, and some of those walk-ons may not make it on. All right. Um, that all makes sense, Gerard. Let's see. Let's go to Hector. He's, he wants to know, nice simple question, if Sual Cravens commits to USC, do you think he could get a starting safety job in 2013? Yes, he could, because you're going to be losing three safeties. And I think that's the significance of recruiting uh, a deep class for 2013 and um, it also being a deep class for 2013. And, uh, you know, you're going to have Starlin gone, you're going to have T.J. McDonald gone, and you're going to have McAllister gone. So it's going to be big. I think that was also the significant thing in USC going and getting Gerald Bowman last year, who was the junior college recruit, because he's going to be able to come in, be a little more mature, and be able to step in right away. So that's really the competition, I think, for a guy like Sue Cravens. Um, but uh, there's definitely going to be that opportunity there. And I think that uh, USC wants to recruit probably three safeties in this class. We know they're going for five defensive backs in general. Uh, but I think it's probably going to be three. Uh, you got a guy like Priest Willis who's 
kind of a guy that goes back and forth on that. Can he be a safety? Can he be a cornerback? He's, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds. I think he's a corner just straight out. I, I think that's really his best position. But obviously, physically, he has that ability to maybe play some free safety too. But uh, you got Sue Cravens, uh, you got Max Redfield, both highly touted players and I, I think very uh, very interested in USC and very high on USC. Sue Cravens is actually going to commit June 6th. So we're going to know where he's going pretty soon. And USC is in a really good position for him. Uh, and then you also have Tahan Goodman, who's further away from maybe making a decision, and he's got you know a lot of different schools he's looking at. But I think with he and, and Priest Willis, I think both those guys might come down to a USC-LSU battle, and we'll just kind of see how that plays out. But um, USC is in a good position for a great defensive back class, and um, you know they're going to need it. It's kind of a, a good time for them to be in need of a good defensive back class because that talent is there. All right. Uh, let's go to Terry, and he wants to know, uh, he said, in the past, you have explained that the rival star rankings are not the only factor used by the coaches to evaluate a recruit. But given the current scholarship limitations, could you give us your take on what the coaches like about the couple of three-star recruits that they appear to be seriously recruiting? Well, truth be told, I don't know that the star rankings or rivals rankings or anybody else's rankings really do come into play a whole lot for the coaching staff. I mean, they have to do their own valuations, and they can't say, hey, we got this kid, he turns out to be a bust, and say, well, because rivals made me recruit him. So they had to go out and make their own evaluations and be able to stand on the table, see a kid, and say, this is why I want this recruit. This is why this recruit fits for USC. And so I think while the rankings definitely put kids on the radar, they're definitely kids – Good example, Eldridge Massington. Eldridge Massington is not really ranked by anybody. He's in the 250 for Rivals. Uh, Rivals really high on him after the Nike camp, kind of popped up in the radar. I was hearing from his coaches that, you know, hey, he really likes USC. And so I'm, I'm looking and I'm going, you know, most of the time when I get emails from coaches and from kids that really want to hear from USC, nine times out of ten, they're not USC-level guys. And that's why they're, you know, selling themselves so hard and, and, and emailing everybody they can to try to get an article written on them. But then when I follow up on Helders Massington, I see the kid 6'3", 200, so I start making some phone calls and I'm asking, is this kid really 6'3", 200? Yeah, he just ran a 10'6'7". Okay things start to get interesting. So, you know, that's an example where I think, you know, where USC sees that as well. And all of a sudden there's a kid, is a four-star kid. So he's not just kind of coming out of nowhere and, and he, he's just a, a nobody type kid. Other people have seen him and thought that he's a good player. So I'm sure, you know, these coaches, these college coaches see that and they go, okay, well, let's follow up on it. Some other people think he's good. He's got a few offers. Let's follow up on it. But from there on, you really have to do your own evaluation. You have to get your feet on the ground. You have to see a kid in person. And if you go and you see a three-star kid and it just happens to be something that maybe they they see film of them you know there's a lot of film on youtube and the coaches get sent tons and tons of film and they try to see as much as possible and you get a guy like paul harris where the film just comes across the desk and it's like hey there's a kid that's listed as 6'3 180 pounds you know we're looking for a big receiver let's put the film on watch the film and they like the film and it just becomes that easy where all of a sudden they see a guy and they like his film they like what he brings to the table maybe they start calling some uh, high school coaches in that area and getting more information on them they go see him in person and they like what they see in person and they continue to recruit him hard and they try to bring him in as a guy so that's that's kind of the process of how it goes I mean you're really trying to be a sponge as a college coach nowadays there's so many avenues for information and there's so many different places where you can see a kid but at the end of the day you can't 
evaluate with your ears. You have to evaluate with your own eyes. And, you, you know, it's going to be you that's hired or fired uh, based on some of these guys that you're able to bring in and your reputation as a recruiter. Because it's not just about being a salesman and getting a bunch of commits. It's also about evaluating and spotting guys that are going to end up being guys that are impact for your program down the line. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to do another voicemail question. Uh, here's one about can't-miss prospects. Hello, Trojan podcast host. Hope you're having a great day. I have a quick question regarding surefire NFL-type high school players. I know we have players like uh, Kenny Bigelow, um, who's committed. Um, You can take a look at that kid, and if everything goes according to plan, he'll probably end up in the NFL. Uh, Back in the day, I can remember looking at Patrick Peterson, who's another kid that I looked at, and I can almost tell that if everything went his way, He'd also be in the NFL, which he is now participating in. Um, outside of Kenny Bigelow, are there any other recruits that you guys think, in all your uh, great experience and knowledge, also fit that kind of profile? Uh, thanks, guys, and I enjoy the podcast. Have a great week. Wow, that's a tough question. My initial answer to that would be there's no such thing as a surefire NFL recruit, just like there's no such thing as a lock in the recruiting process. I think, you know, there's not those extremes when you're talking about recruiting. There's so much that can happen between a kid's junior year and his junior or senior year, um, you know, coming out of college that, you know, to say a guy is surefire, that's tough. But to entertain the question, as far as guys that – you know, are of that build, at least physically, or at least athletically, they're guys that you look at and go, you know, if he keeps his head on straight and he stays healthy and he does the right things, he's going to be able to go through college and he's going to have an opportunity to play on Sundays. I definitely agree Kenny Bigelow is one of those guys when you just see him uh, and you see his physique and you see what he can do athletically for a guy his size. Um, I think he's definitely a guy that has that potential to play on Sundays. Uh, Robert uh, Kimdiche is, you know, the number one player in the nation, 6'5", 265, from Loganville, Georgia, uh, a guy that probably isn't going to end up on U- at USC, but USC is still recruiting him. They're still going to lobby for a visit, even if he ends up committing over the summer somewhere else. And he is on the recruiting board, and he's definitely a guy that jumps out at you as a guy that – you look at it and say, that guy looks like he's going to be able to play in the NFL if he ends up you know, doing the right things and keeping his nose clean and keeps working hard. Um, I think a guy that's kind of I mean, a little lower on the radar that people don't talk about as much, but another player from Georgia that really jumps out to me on film just physically and athletically is, is one of those guys that uh, you think, man, he has, he's got to you know, have a shot to be able to play. Uh, on Sundays is going to make an impact in college is Carl Lawson, who's a 6'3", 245-pound defensive end, um, just so explosive and, and already has that physical build and ability that, you know, you kind of look at and go, man, that guy, he has some potential to be an NFL guy down the line. Um, I, I think um, probably Mackenzie Alexander is another guy that, you know, I see as a, as a corner. And corners, you know, it's, it's harder most times to really see a guy as a corner and, and even the skill players and go, yeah, that's an NFL guy, just because physically they're not there yet. You don't see that surefire type, okay, he's got the build, he only has to add a few pounds, and then he's going to be there. You know, it's harder to do that with corners, but I think with uh, Mackenzie Alexander, he's, you know, about 5'11", 6'0", probably about 175 pounds, and he just has so much – 
athletic ability and so much awareness and instincts. He's a focused guy. You feel like, you know, he's just on that path that whatever school he goes to, which is not likely going to be USC, he's going to go to the Rising Stars camp this summer and take an unofficial visit and entertain USC, I'm sure, through the process. But I expect him to stay in the state of Florida. But nonetheless, still a guy that just um, instinctually and, and athletically you go, wow, that, that, that's what you look for in a cornerback. And I think that's what the NFL looks for uh, in a cornerback. And so, I, again, if he keeps his head on straight, gets his grades right, stays healthy, he'll have that opportunity. Kendall Fuller is another guy who's a five-star corner uh, from Olney, a good council high school in Maryland, who's about six foot, 175 pounds, a bigger corner. Definitely physique-wise, he's bigger than a guy like uh, Mackenzie Alexander. Um, but nonetheless, uh, very, very impressive. Very impressive with just how he handles himself. He's coming from a program that's had a lot of success with Division One players. Uh, not a ton of guys that actually have gone on to the NFL yet. We're kind of seeing how that's you know, kind of maturing and, and the guys that have gone on to the college ranks and have been, you know, really good players like Jelani Jenkins, still off Florida, he probably will have an opportunity to go on and play uh, in the pros. But I think of the guys that I've actually seen that I felt coming away from good counsel and I said, that guy's a real deal. I think he's a guy that I've, I've thought, you know, just seeing in person earliest has kind of struck that chord with me as, wow, that guy is the real deal. Like, he's not just a bunch of hype when I watch him on film or blah, blah, blah. You know, watching him in person at the Army All-American Combine really impressed me. Um, just, to, like I said, how he handles himself. A lot of those intangibles that go along with the physical prowess um, that he has. And, you know, there's other guys too, but again, I'm very shy about throwing those type of extreme labels on guys. Like, he's a surefire NFL guy, or he's a lock to go to USC, this, that, and the other. I think there's so much that can happen with kids. We've seen guys like Whitney Lewis come out of high school that, you know, 6'1", 215, he's running 4'3", and he didn't even make it through USC really, you know, in two years. He was pretty much already on the outs. And so that can happen with a lot of guys, and sometimes you can't see it coming. So it's hard to also put that label on a kid and to have that pressure. Sometimes that pressure gets to them. You know, George Farmer, I think, is probably living with that pressure right now because that's a guy that you have coming out of high school out of the guys that are coming from Sarah in that group, Robert Woods and uh, Marquise Lee and these guys, you're probably going to say, you know, the guy that looks like the NFL guy is George Farmer. And right now George Farmer is the guy that, you know, is the third of those guys in terms of contribution and production at USC. And there's probably a lot of pressure for him. He needs to just take a step back, relax, and just understand that if he's patient and he allows the coaches to do their job and coach him, he's going to end up in a position to be successful. And so hopefully he gets that opportunity to, to go through USC and have that success where he gets drafted. He ends up being that NFL guy that everybody thought he would be coming out of high school. All right. Uh, good stuff there. Let's see. JD in DC or JD from DC has a question on uh, Scott Pagano versus Eddie Vanderdoes. And he says, Gerard, do you see much difference in their ability or the potential of these two targets? And does it shock you that Pagano has an offer and Vanderdoes doesn't at this point? Scott Pagano does not have a USC offer, to my knowledge. I know that USC just contacted him uh, about a week ago, and that was the first contact he'd had from USC uh, at all, ever, um, you know, to that point of the recruiting process. Um, Eddie Vander does 
has been in contact with USC. He actually went to the USC Junior Day and was down there on an unofficial visit. He has a lot of different offers. I think, you know, everybody's comparing because their offer lists are both impressive. You know, Pagano at this point is 30-plus offers, which is pretty impressive for a kid from Hawaii who plays for public school um, outside of Kahuku. I mean, Kahuku is the one school where you usually see a lot of guys, you know, that are good football players that end up getting some early offers just because of the lineage. Um, and that's not really true with Pagano, who's playing in Honolulu. So, uh, if you're not playing for, you know, Punahou or, or St. Louis, you tend to get overlooked. He has certainly not gotten overlooked. He's originally from San Diego, um, so he's not necessarily, you know, born or raised Hawaii, but it doesn't really matter. You're playing high school football in Hawaii, so, you know, tend to get overlooked because of that. He is a really good-looking kid build-wise. Um, you know, seen some tape of him in the Nike camp, uh, talked to him. He's definitely more impressive in terms of not having any bad body weight, um, in terms of just, you know, his physical prowess, uh, I think that, to me, is something that stands out. I think Vanderdose is definitely a guy that has a little more natural strength and, and doesn't look as built up necessarily as Pagano. Um, but, you know, they're both playing against questionable competition. So I, I don't know if you can really say, well, hey, you know, this guy's playing against that much better competition, so he should have an offer as opposed to this guy. I think you could probably question both their competition levels. Um, I think with Pagano also, I see a guy that might be a little more versatile on the defensive line. I see a guy that you could play at three technique. I think he, you could put more weight on him and he can be 290, 300 pounds, easy, and can end up being maybe more of a one-shade type guy. He's quick. Uh, he plays well against his, uh, his gap in terms of run uh, defense, but he's also a guy that gets away from his gap assignment and is able to make plays you know, outside the hash marks and in the offensive backfield. Uh, Vanderdose is very explosive off the ball, though, and has some of that ability also, but seems to be a guy that maybe is a little better with lateral speed and kind of um, you know, being a little more of a run stopper. He plays some defensive end, uh, does some different things, and so you know, kind of watching him, he's kind of coming after the quarterback from a lot of different positions where Pagano may be uh, easier to evaluate just because he kind of stays at that one position and is pretty much a defensive tackle at the next level. I think with Vanderdose, there's a lot of talk like maybe he ends up being a defensive end in the 3-4, and, you know, he likes some 3-4 teams. It seems like Oregon's going to be his leader, though, and so that's probably going to be more of a 4-3 look for him, so he'd probably play inside and end up being a three technique. Um, but, you know, is there a lot of discernible difference when I put on the tape of them? No. Like I said, the one thing that kind of – sticks out to me, though, about Pagano is just that he doesn't have any bad body weight, and he's just a really good-looking kid build-wise. Um, I think, and I think that's probably why a lot of these schools are getting to see him in person in May and kind of going, wow, we need to just get our foot in the door with this kid. He's already got how many offers. If we're not in the door, we're going to be left out. And, and USC is kind of in that position, too, but he growing up in San Diego, huge Trojan fan, I think they can afford to wait and they're going to kind of go through the process and they're going to go see him in person. And maybe they have that same reaction where they feel like, Hey, we just got to offer this guy kid right away and not wait on him. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk a couple questions on Vernon Hargraves. Uh, David first, and you mentioned something in the podcast before Gerard, uh, you were talking about him and questioning his size a little bit. Uh, yes. and David, I, I, David said he's listed at five eleven. Uh, and wants to know, what does Nikhil Roby have that Vernon Hardgraves does not? Uh, n nothing necessarily, but Nikhil Roby was not a guy that had a bunch of offers early either. And so he was a guy that Monty Kiffin saw in person and watched uh, some of his tape, uh, saw him on track, 
and he was also a very good track athlete. And evidently, I think he went to the Tennessee camp and was exceptional at the camp and also had a really good vertical leap. That was the big thing coming out of uh, signing day that year about Nikel Roby was his vertical leap because he was a guy that was 5'8", uh, but showing his explosiveness and vertical leap is kind of that one um, testing uh, you know, exercise that you can do that can show how explosive a player is. He was really, really good at it. And I think that's something that actually got Ryan Henderson a scholarship offer from USC later on a couple years afterwards is, is really his vertical leap. He had a 42-inch vertical leap. Didn't really have a lot to show on film uh, from a football standpoint, but had great numbers, and I think that's what Monty Kiffin was really excited about. So that was kind of Nikel Roby, um, you know, in a nutshell. Uh, with Vernon Hargrave, different player, a guy that's more highly touted coming out of high school. He's not 5'11". I don't even know if he's really listed at 5'11". I, I think I've seen him listed at 5'10". He's probably a shade under that from people I talk to. Um, and that's, I think, what people have a lot of questions marks about with him can he really be the top player in Florida can he really be the top defensive back in Florida being you know that he's a lot smaller than some of these other guys uh, that are being recruited a guy like McKenzie Alexander who's you know an easy 5'11 six foot uh, so that's kind of the questions that go on about him but comparing him and Nikel Roby not necessarily I mean I Trust me, I don't think that USC is going to turn down Vernon Hargrave. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think that that's going to be an issue. I think it's necessarily when you're picking different players and you're trying to put that class together, are you going all the way out to Tampa on a guy that is very high in Florida and very high in some other schools and being recruited highly by other schools, or are you going to end up staying closer to home and going after a guy uh, like Priest Willis or maybe even a Johnny Johnson who's also you know, in that 5'9 range. He's really not a 5'10", 5'11 guy, even though he's listed. But still, aggressive, um, an explosive player. Uh, but you know, does he have those numbers to back himself up the way Nikel Roby did? You know, we'll see. But Nikel Roby was a niche recruit. That was the transition from them coming from Tennessee, that coaching staff, Monty, Ed Ergeron, Lane Kiffin, and having a guy that they really liked that they got. And listen, Tennessee wasn't recruiting the level of athletes that USU is recruiting now. That's another thing. Tennessee was kind of getting the second-tier, third-tier SEC recruits. And they just happened to find Nikel Roby, Nikel Roby who didn't have offers from all the Florida schools, Nikel Roby who didn't even have offers from a lot of the SEC schools. So you had a guy that was kind of under the radar that they really liked, that they were able to steal out of Florida without anybody noticing. Guess what? You're not going to be able to steal Vernon Hargraves away from the SEC without anybody noticing. He's a five-star recruit. He's ranked as one of the best players in the nation. So it's, a t it's that circumstance. It's that context that you have to keep in mind when you're recruiting. It's not necessarily talent for talent okay and there's one more this is daniel from the oc here's his uh, hypothetical situation gerard let's say it's signing day usc already has four defensive back commits vernon hargraves wants to announce that he will choose usc cravens well cravens has not announced yet what does usc do there are 17 total commitments what do they do if they have five dbs committed 16 spots taken Hargrave wants to commit. Do they take him even though it might scare Cravens and put them at seven defensive backs? Okay, first and foremost, we have to change this hypothetical question because, as I noted earlier, Sue Cravens is going to end up committing here June 6th. So we're going to know his commitment and where he's headed well before signing day, which is a good thing. Um, so you're going to have to put him in with – uh, Priest Willis, or you're going to have to say that there's another kid that's on the fence, Tahan Goodman, uh, maybe Max Redfield, 
and then it becomes, okay, you're comparing a guy like Vernon Hargraves against one of the safeties. Uh, that's a possibility in this class. Or maybe, like I said, Prace Willis, who could play safety, but is probably more of a corner. I, I think that's a tough question. I, I mean, I think it really depends on who that exact player is that's on the fence that hasn't come in yet. Um, I think, you know, Vernon Hargraves is definitely one of the top players. Him versus Priest Willis, I like the local guy. I like that Priest Willis is 6'2". I like that he's big. Um, I don't like that he hasn't played much offensively. That's been a red flag for me over the years. That was a red flag with me with Ryan Henderson. We're going to have to see how he plays out here at USC. Uh, but with T.J. Bryant, it was a red flag, and T.J. Bryant never really did anything at USC. So you want to see Priest Willis this year be able to contribute more offensively. Um, you know, he showed great hips, great explosion at the Nike camp. I felt like he was probably the defensive back that I saw at the Nike camp. I know people gave me flack for that, but I really felt that athletically and potential-wise – he was the best guy that I saw there. He didn't catch the ball particularly well, though. And that's probably one of the reasons why maybe people didn't like him as much as I did. But I feel like that's coachable. And I feel like the defensive back, that's not the first thing I'm looking at. But you do want to see some ball skills. And I think it would help him to play more offensively this coming year and to be able to do things as a receiver or as a running back more and maybe have more highlights uh, there because it, it helps you all around. It helps you kind of understand both sides of the ball. You know, if you're playing some cornerback and you, you also have to play receiver, you start to look at the game a little differently. You look at the game from the opposite side of the ball and you start to understand, you know, I'm going to be playing cornerback in college, so let me kind of understand what these receivers are trying to do to me. You know, how are they trying to get open? What is their little tricks that they're trying to learn? And it helps you later on. So I think that's one of the big reasons why you like to see a guy play both ways in high school. So when he goes to college, he has a little bit of that awareness. Um, but, you know, Vernon Hargraves is a fantastic player, and he's explosive, and he does have a good lineage. You know, his dad played. Uh, he's a coach uh, right now at uh, USF, and he was a coach for many years um, at Miami, too. So, you know, certainly it's not a bad situation for USC to be in. I think in that situation, USC is going to take whoever wants to be the guy that's going to commit soonest. If you've got four defensive backs and you are debating between a high four-star guy and a five-star guy, I think the first guy that commits and says he's on for sure, especially with limited scholarships, you got to take that guy. You have to get on that guy because the other guy's waiting, and at that point in the process, why is he waiting? You know, especially if it's a local guy. I mean, we talked about Cravens. He really is not going to be a part of that hypothetical question. But if it was Cravens, let's say he commits and then he decommits, and you're going, well, why did he decommit? Or why is he waiting this long? He knows everything he needs to know about USC. At that point in time, USC has to say, look, it, we've got another kid that's ready to commit. If you're not on board, then you're out. And, th- and then if he doesn't, if he, if he still wavers or he's still hesitant about it, then you have reasons to doubt him and whether he's going to really be uh, a guy that's going to be there for you on signing day, which is the most important. So you bring Hargraves in. So I think that's how you have to play it out and, and kind of see how it goes on. It, you, can't, uh, you can't say, you know, hold on, you know, we're not going to take anybody until signing day. Who gets the, the facts to us first? You know, that doesn't necessarily work either. You take that commitment, I think, a few days before signing day. Bird in the hand, worth two in the bush. Is that the, the, the philosophy they have to go with? Yeah, exactly. When it comes down to those two guys, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, let's, we're going to talk about some running backs. Uh, a pair of running backs named Green, Ryan Green and Derek Green. Uh, Daniel wrote in he's really high on Derek Green, and especially when USC. He's really high on Green? Okay. On Derek Green. Oh, okay, Derek Green. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, he like. <laughs> you didn't catch the joke there. <laughs> I did, okay. thanks. Sorry, man. Uh, it's been a long day. Uh, Trey, so he's comparing him to Trey Madden, you know, 220 and runs a 4-4-ish. 
thinks that Derek Green would be a perfect fit. And uh, Leo said, please, I'm sorry, not Leo, Theo said, please, for the love of God, what can we do to bring in a duo of Ryan Green and Derek Green? Do you think they would commit if we got to the national championship? I would seriously take either one over Ty Isaac or Justin Davis without a second thought. Now that Oregon is going after Derek Green, do you think uh, Thomas Tyner is up for grabs or at least more open to USC or at least willing to come up north, check USC out? That's, uh, that's Theo's thoughts on uh, running back recruiting. Okay, a lot of running back names there. Um, first, I would address uh, taking anybody over Justin Davis. As we said, uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Wink, wink. Um, so moving on from that, we're looking at Derek Green and Ryan Green, two very good players, two guys that have been offered from USC. I don't see Derek Green taking a lot of interest in USC at this point in time. I have not seen USC pop up with him very often in recruiting articles. I think he's a long shot. Great player, fantastic speed, explosive. We're going to see him at the five-star challenge against a lot of really good players. It's going to be interesting to see how he lines up with those players. And I think USC would love to have Derek Green, but I just don't see it happening from Derek Green's perspective. With Ryan Green, it may have a little better chance, but I do see Ryan Green ending up probably in the SEC too. Um, It's hard. He he definitely plays it close to the vest and hasn't really gotten – too too into detail about any one school at this point. Um, You know, he took a visit to Notre Dame like Notre Dame. He's been outside the SEC, and I think there's a chance that USC gets an official visit with him, but I think it's going to be difficult too. Um, He would be more of the speed back, and so you would put him in line with a guy like Alvin Kamara, who's, you know, 5'10", 195 pound, uh, running back from Georgia, from Norcross, from the same high school that – uh, Bryce Butler was from, and he likes USC a lot, and he is going to unofficially visit USC here in late May, early June. USC does have a better shot at him. Uh, you have to put him next to Craig Lee, who's another speed back from Redlands. He's a local guy, six foot, uh, about 190 pounds, um, a guy that's uh, running in that 10-8 range in track and uh, a, a very impressive player on film. And you want to really get that position, that second running back position, you want to get that guy who's a finisher, a guy who can take it 80, not 40. That's USC's problem. That's been their issue for a number of years since Reggie Bush graduated. They got a lot of guys that were combo backs, that were undersized running backs, but didn't really have the speed to be able to break the angles in the, in the defensive backfield. And that's what you're looking for in this class. So when you're looking at those three guys, as I said, with Ryan Green, I think it's more of an issue getting him out of the SEC. I think he's semi-open to it, but I've talked to his dad, and I kind of just wonder you know, if they're going to be able to even come out here unofficially. It sounds like if they're going to visit USC at all, it would be an official visit. With Kamara, at least he's coming out here unofficially. He has a sister in Los Angeles. There's a little more going on than that. You know, you watch his film. He's a guy that, you know, seems to consistently be able to break those big runs. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be an ongoing recruiting process and evaluation process of him uh, because he didn't have a ton of carries last year and didn't have a ton of yards. Uh, but you want to see is that a guy that can be able to break those big runs. And then you have Craig Lee, who I think USC, they just want him to run a 10-6. I mean, they just wish he would make it easy on them and run a 10-6 and see kind of how natural he is as a running back and they're going to go see him here uh, in a week or two in person to be able to evaluate him and maybe that's when an offer comes for him but definitely it's that speed back but as far as the two greens go I think that's a long shot and it's not just because USC's not recruiting them or doesn't like them it's not that it's just you can't get everybody and even if USC won the national championship 
I think it would still be difficult. You never know. Things do change, though. I mean, you get into January and you'd be shocked. We're down there in San Antonio at the Army All-American Bowl, and kids start coming through the lobby, and the next thing you know, everybody's visiting USC in the next couple weeks. It happens every year. So, you know, I'm not going to write the kids off completely, but usually the guys that are really serious, they, they're already chirping about USC and some of these recruiting articles and saying good things about them, and we really haven't heard too many specifics coming from Ryan or Derek Green about USC at this point. All right, uh, good stuff there on running backs. One last one. Uh, this is from Earl. He said, good morning, fellas. First, I'd like to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thanks very much for that, Earl. Uh, second, I've been an SC fan since 84. That's when I guess I really started watching college football. My question is about offensive lineman out of Florida by the name of Ira Denson. A poster posted some footage of him yesterday. He was very dominant against four- and five-star talent that I had to ask about his recruitment by USC. He's not well known yet, but I know he will be soon with a with performances, excuse me, performances like the one he just had in the video. I also mentioned that he'd camp anywhere. Thanks in advance, Earl. The problem with Denson right now is he's 6-2-3-15 and USC doesn't need guards. So if USC goes and gets somebody who is at guard or maybe a center prospect, which is a possibility, and I think it'd be a little more possibility trying to get a guy who could play center, you have to look at Khalil Rogers first, mainly because, A, he's been very dominant on the camp circuit, and he's been very, very good as well. And you have the added bonus of him being an Eastern Academy, Christian Academy player who's the teammate of David Sills, who's the 2015 uh, recruited quarterback, and Kenny Bigelow, who's the 2013 five-star recruited defensive tackle. And you want to keep those guys committed. They're both really good players, and we've already talked about Bigelow being you know, of that ilk of a guy you look at and go, he could play on Sunday. So you want to keep those guys committed. That would help further secure those commitments because, you know, you got three guys committed. You kind of keep an eye on each other, <laughs> more or less, and, and USC can kind of use them to keep an eye on each other and make sure they're solid. And they have support all the way there in Maryland on the East Coast with all these other schools, you know, saying all these different things. So I'm trying to get them to decommit from USC. So that would help in that manner, and I think that would be very valuable. I think you have to look at that um, in terms of recruiting as much as you do just, you know, who's a guy who's a little better than another guy. Um, so I think with Denson, that's just, it makes it difficult. He's a guard, um, probably a good player, strong as a Knox. You know, I've seen some clips from him as well and uh, was definitely very good. But, you know, it's funny because there's so much recruiting going on right now and evaluating going on and scholarships going out, and guys jump. You know, they got two or three scholarships, and the next thing you know, uh, a couple weeks later, they've got 12, 15 scholarships, and we're talking about them getting double their scholarships, even more than that, and they've never put pads on. You know, we're talking about football and shorts. And it's really difficult to evaluate linemen when you're talking about football and shorts. And so I think, you know, with USC, I thought that really the majority of their local offers to linemen would go out during the Rising Stars camp or maybe even the lineman camp. So they got to see him in person. And the big thing with linemen, too, is just getting to eyeball them. You kind of have to see their frame. You have to see how much weight they can put on. Uh, you got to get a feel for their mentality, you know, their disposition. Are these guys really naturally aggressive? Uh, they're just a big kid who's kind of soft. Uh, you know, you can bring in a guy who's 6'6", 290, and he could be a cupcake. So you want to be able to bring in guys that are tough, and sometimes you're not going to be able to really see that until you 
you have in camp. Um, Nico Fala, who's about 6'5", 275, got a scholarship offer from USC earlier than expected. He's kind of the guy right now on the West Coast for USC because he's got a scholarship offer. Uh, but like I said, I, I think, you know, maybe here in the May evaluation period might be a couple of other offers that pop up, um, you know, later down the line. And uh, But, again, you know, when you're going all the way out there and you're trying to recruit a guy from Florida or a guy from the East Coast in general – I mean, you're going to go after a guard. I think USC right now, they got to go find that prototypical left tackle. That's who they need to find. And if, uh, you know, they're going to recruit somebody really, really hard, it's going to be a guy who can play left tackle. All right, Gerard, great stuff as always. I don't want to call anyone that's uh, 6'3", 290, a cupcake, though, or whatever you said. Uh, <laughs> I don't care how soft he is. It happens. Guys, uh, you know, <laughs> they look the part. And don't I just don't want to call him a part. cupcake. I don't want to go up and tell the guy, oh, hey, Gerard said you're a cupcake. No, and I didn't name anybody specifically, but uh, and that's how you do it. You say, hey, he's uh, six, uh, and he wears number 90, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's how you do it. But uh, the old saying is, you know, he uh, looks like Tarzan and plays like Jane. And um, it happens every year. And that's, that's you get enamored with guys in shorts and T-shirts, and you don't watch them actually play football in pads. And so you have to be able to know that this kid's tough, and he's able to play uh, and be a run blocker at USC. USC's aggressive on the offensive line. I mean, they want to go out there and want to punch people in the mouth and um, you can't always figure that out from just watching kids run around and pass pro at a camp. All right. Well, great stuff, Gerard. We really appreciate you coming on the show and answering all the recruiting questions. We've got a ton of them today and got through them all. So thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. And everyone else, thanks very much for tuning in to the Trojan Blast Peristyle podcast. And we just wanted to say uh, heartfelt you know, thoughts and prayers are with the Seau family and Rest in peace, Junior Sale. You'll be missed by the Trojan community. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music